Welcome to Thinking About Religion. I'm Dale Tuggy. In 2010, Pope Benedict XVI said that Hitler and his Nazis had wanted to eradicate God from society. Famous Oxford biologist Richard Dawkins hit back hard, alleging that Hitler was not an atheist, but rather a Roman Catholic. Who was right? Is there a historian in the house? I have the privilege today of talking with Dr. Richard Weikert, a historian at California State University, Stanislaus. We're going to discuss his new book entitled Hitler's Religion, The Twisted Beliefs That Drove the Third Reich. Dr. Weikert, welcome to Thinking About Religion. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. Dr. Weikert, toward the beginning of your book, you describe how Hitler's religious views have entered into our recent culture wars. He's a kind of hot potato that various groups are eager to classify as belonging to the other side. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, there seem to be three main kinds of views when we're talking about his religion that seem to come to the fore in these kinds of uh, culture wars. And on the one hand, there's those that are wanting to uh, paint Hitler as being an atheist, and that's mainly people who are coming from a more religious side, who are horrified by the thought that Hitler could have been religious or could have had some kind of religious affiliation. On the other side, we have many atheists and agnostics and secularists of various sorts who are trying to argue that Hitler was a Christian— so they are looking then at the fact that he was baptized in the Catholic Church, confirmed in it and such, and was officially a member of the Catholic Church throughout his life. And then there also is another view out there that's pretty widespread that sees Hitler as being an occultist, dabbling in the occult, horoscopes, astrology, all this kind of thing. So I try to counter those three, which I think are legends or myths that have developed around Hitler. And I think there's good reasons why maybe they've developed, but uh, nonetheless, I don't think they accurately portray who he really was and what he really thought. Is this a topic where historians are forced to speculate because of the paucity of evidence, or is there an abundance of evidence about Hitler's religious convictions? I'd answer that question two ways. One way is that there's a huge amount of evidence. The problem, though, is weighing that evidence because, of course, Hitler was a consummate liar. And so we have to always be aware that Hitler is trying to deceive his audience. And this is where it becomes tricky because, of course, he's trying to deceive his audience for propaganda purposes and political purposes when he's speaking in public. But it's not even clear in private if sometimes maybe he's playing to the audience, that is, playing to the sensibilities of the people that he's talking to. So, for example, when Joseph Goebbels himself is very anti-Catholic and anti-Christian. So, you know, when Hitler was talking to Goebbels, was he playing to that and just trying trying to gain Goebbels' approval and, uh, you know, stay on good terms with him and, and you know, win his support? Or uh, was he really trying to express his real feelings to Goebbels? So even in private, we have to be careful about that. So there's lots and lots of evidence, and I've had to sort through a, an awful lot of evidence to, to come to my conclusions. But it does take uh, some weighing of that evidence. We need to be very, very careful about how we use it. I wonder if Hitler was actually worse than a liar. Are you familiar with the philosopher Harry Frankfurt's book entitled, pardon my French, On Bullshit? No, I'm sorry. I'm not familiar with that. It's very interesting. He argues that the BSer is worse than the liar. So the liar acknowledges the difference between what's true and what's false, and then he's trying to sell us what's false on purpose. The BSer doesn't care about whether what he says is true or false. All he cares about is just influencing his audience, and he's just going to say whatever do you think that Hitler was a dedicated practitioner of BS under that definition? You know, I really don't think so. 
I think when he was saying lies for political purposes, I think he knew what he was doing and he was doing it very consciously in trying to sway his audiences that way. And one of the reasons I say that is because Hitler was quite the ideologue. Uh, He had very well-formulated views on a lot of different issues. And some of these, of course, are themselves things that would be considered wild and crazy by most people. For example, Hitler was a true believer in the international Jewish world conspiracy and that the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which was this tract that came out in the early 20th century, he was a true believer in that and that the Jews were trying to manipulate and destroy the Germans through this sort of two-pronged attack, one with communism and one with capitalism. And so he saw capitalism and communism being in cahoots, essentially, as part of this Jewish world conspiracy. He was a true believer in that. Now, The notion of that Jewish world conspiracy is ludicrous when we look back and see what's really going on historically and what's happening with the Jews and their business connections and things. It's ludicrous. Hitler believed it, so he's sort of believing a lie in this particular instance. But if we look at things like the religion that I'm focusing on in in my book, I think Hitler very clearly was lying for a political audience. And I think this comes through because we can see the discrepancies between the things he says in private and the things he says in public. In fact, at one point when Hitler was talking with Rudolf Hess when they were imprisoned in Landsberg prison, and Hess reported this in a private letter that he wrote to his wife, Hitler told Hess forthrightly that he was playing the hypocrite before the public because he didn't want the public to know that he was so hostile toward Christianity and Catholicism. This came up a number of times in your book where he would say to his fellow Nazis, don't be so upfront with your opposition to Christianity because we need to keep that on the down low for the time being. Yes, he did that quite often, and Goebbels reports this in his diaries. We see this in a lot of different contexts. When Hitler talked to his uh, Gauleiter, which was the district leaders of the party, he would also very often try to sort of rein them in. But on the other hand, there was one particular instance for where a, a Gauleiter uh, had removed crucifixes from some of the schools in his district, and it created a, a big blow up because parents were protesting against this measure and it made the Nazi party somewhat more unpopular. Hitler, basically, when he was talking with his cronies about this, Hitler said, well, it was kind of a tactical mistake, but, you know, don't be so hard on the guy. You know, he's basically on the on the Gauleiter who did this, you know, it's just a slight tactical error, you know. So basically, Hitler thought it was actually a good plan overall, but it had misfired because there was more opposition than this Gauleiter perhaps thought was going to come against it. An observer might think that on the face of it, why wasn't Hitler just a Christian? So he's raised Catholic, never renounced his church membership. Many of his supporters would have been Lutherans or Catholics. And certainly from time to time, as you record, he would say very Christian sounding things in his speeches, such as that Jesus is his Lord and Savior. When we dig deeper into the historical record, do we find that Hitler was a twisted sort of Christian? The quotation that you mentioned there comes from an April 1922 speech, or at least one of them, where he talks about Jesus being his Lord and Savior. Interestingly, if you look at the context of that speech, as well as a number of other speeches where he does try to come across as being compatible with Christianity, generally he was uh, responding to other politicians who were taking an approach that Hitler was not Christian. In fact, there was a lot of people during Hitler's political career who were accusing him of being anti-Christian. And typically, those times when Hitler was most claiming to be Christian was those because by people claiming that he wasn't Christian. So Hitler's saying, oh, yes, 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 I, I really am. 
And if you look in that particular speech in April 1922, he was responding to a a Catholic Bavarian politician in a party named the the Bavarian People's Party, which was a Catholic political party uh, who had accused uh, Hitler's policies of being unchristian. And so Hitler was basically trying to bend over backward to say that, that, you know, I really am a Christian. But if you look at the comments that uh, Hitler made quite frequently in private and then also even occasionally in public— it becomes clear that he had a great antipathy toward the Christian churches. And I want to differentiate a little bit here, too, because when we start talking about this issue, of course, there's two different issues that come up in relation to Hitler's own religious viewpoints. One is, what was Hitler's own relationship to Jesus Christ, and what did he think about Jesus? And secondly, then, what did he think about Christianity after the time of Jesus? There are two different things going on there. With Jesus, Hitler actually admired Jesus. He thought Jesus was a great anti-Semitic warrior, uh, and his favorite story was Jesus driving the Jews out of the temple with a whip. So he sees the Jews as being greedy, money-grubbing Jews in the temple, you know, that's how Hitler's portraying it. And so Hitler thought of Jesus as being an Aryan—he didn't believe in the virgin birth, of course, he thought he was fathered by an Aryan Roman soldier— Uh, And so when we look at Jesus, Hitler did have this sort of positive view about Jesus being this idealistic opponent of the Jews. But then if you look at Christianity that came after Jesus, Hitler rejected all of the Old Testament as being Jewish, but he also rejected most of the New Testament as being Jewish because he thought that the Apostle Paul had snuck in Jewish ideas into Christianity from the very start. So he was completely against Pauline forms of Christianity. And so if Hitler could be identified in any kind of way as a Christian, it's it's a Christian who believes that Christianity got off the rails really already in the first century and that Paul himself was messing up that religion. But if you look at the way that Hitler himself uses the term Christianity in private when he's talking about Christianity, he always uses it negatively. He never in private identifies himself as being a Christian or makes positive comments about Christianity. While I was working on the research of this book, I came across a very fascinating find, and it's fascinating on a couple of levels. For one thing, no one, uh, to my knowledge, and I've actually, uh, since publishing my book, I've actually talked or emailed and had contact with a number of different Nazi scholars who are dealing with photography in the Third Reich and other things like that. And none of them have know about any photograph that was doctored by the Nazis to try to, you know, alter the image of, of Hitler and such. But I discovered one while I was doing work on this book, and it relates directly to the religion issue and, and illustrates one of the main points, in fact, I'm trying to make. It actually was an incredible find for me uh, in terms of uh, solidifying and uh, Uh, helping to show the point I was trying to make. And here's what happened. I got this book in interlibrary loan uh, by Heinrich Hoffmann, Hitler wie ihn keiner kennt, which means Hitler as no one knows him. And the edition that I got had this picture of Hitler coming out of a church in uh, Bremerhaven. And I thought, oh, that looks a lot like the photo that's on the dust jacket of this book that I have called The Holy Reich, a book about Nazi conceptions of Christianity. So I pulled that off my shelf and There was a difference between the two photos, and it was stunning because one of the photos, and as it turns out, this was the original photo, one of the photos had a bright white cross right above Hitler's head. Interestingly, I was able to track this down, and the caption to that photo, this was a 1932 photo of Hitler, so just before he came into power, the caption to the photo said, a chance event becomes a symbol. Hitler, the supposed heretic, coming out of the Maria Church in Bremerhaven. So basically, the point was supposed to be, see, Hitler's not a heretic. 
he's coming out of church. And there's also this bright white cross over his head, which makes it look like a sort of a halo over him. And so it's really wanting to associate Hitler with Christianity. Again, this is, a, this is before he was named chancellor. So this is before he was in power. Then several years later, in 1938, Hoffman republished this book in a new edition, and in that new edition, they airbrushed the cross out of the photo. So the cross is no longer there. And not only that, but they changed the caption to the photo, too. The new caption said, Hitler after sightseeing in the historic Maria Church in Bremerhaven. So the idea here is that, oh, Hitler wasn't attending a church service. You know, make sure you don't think that. You know, he's just sightseeing here at this particular church uh, there. So this sort of illustrates one of the points I'm trying to make, that Hitler wanted to be associated with Christianity when it served his political purposes, so before he came to power especially. And by the way, if you track what happened, all of Hitler's statements positive about Christianity publicly come before 1934, most of them before 1933, but all of them before 1934. After he came to power then, he tries to distance himself more from Christianity, such as in this photo where he then takes this cross out. Prior to reading your book, I'd read a lot of things about historical anti-Semitism, you know, throughout the Middle Ages. I learned a new term reading your book, which is anti-Christian anti-Semitism. Can you tell us what that is? In the 19th century, a new form of anti-Semitism emerged in Germany and elsewhere in Europe. And what happened was it was taking over a lot of the old stereotypes that had been developed over centuries. And, and again, admittedly, and I argue this forthrightly in my book, these forms of Christian anti-Semitism that existed since the Middle Ages and maybe even earlier fed into this new kind of anti-Semitism. So there is some responsibility for, I'm not trying to argue that Christian anti-Semitism wasn't responsible in any way for the Holocaust. I'm arguing that it was a prong that fed in. But in the 19th century, there was a key shift that took place. And that is when a number of individuals who were themselves leaving the church or at least becoming hostile toward the Catholic or Lutheran churches in Germany were holding on to these anti-Semitic stereotypes. In fact, the word anti-Semitism itself actually comes out of this period in the 1870s when this is being formulated. The word anti-Semitism didn't exist before the mid-19th century. And so this new kind of anti-Semitism was going to be a biologically based anti-Semitism. So it saw the Jews not as a religion— but as a biological racial entity. And because of that, that totally transformed the way that they viewed the solution to the so-called Jewish question that was being talked about so much at the time. Before the 19th century, the Christian anti-Semitism saw the solution as conversion. That is, the Jews should become Christians, and then they can assimilate into German society. And that was pretty much what Martin Luther had wanted to have. Martin Luther was intensely anti-Jewish and published some horrible diatribes against the Jews late in his life, talking about how they should you know, break down their synagogues and drive them out of the country. But ultimately, what Martin Luther wanted, and most sort of Christian anti-Semites after that time, was they wanted them to convert and assimilate into German society, or if they wouldn't convert and assimilate, then to leave. With this new kind of biological anti-Semitism in the mid-19th century that is then going to become important in Hitler's own way of thinking, the idea was that conversion and assimilation is the absolute worst thing that could happen because then they're going to import their allegedly bad genetic qualities or bad hereditary qualities into the German race. 
So the idea was that Jews as a race cannot change themselves just by conversion. In fact, they even said it this way, that a sprinkling of baptismal water could not change you know, the Jew from their you know, biological characteristics that they had. So this was a biologically deterministic idea that, that all of the negative stereotypes of the Jews, such as greed, lasciviousness, deception, all these things, that they are biologically ingrained. And so with that being the case, then the only solution is either to get them out of Germany, deportation, which is what the Nazis tried early on in the Nazi regime, or ultimately extermination, which was, of course, what happened in the Holocaust. He repeatedly compares the Jews to a bacillus, an infection, a germ that needs to be wiped out. That's striking that you should call any group of people a germ. Yeah, it is. And it makes clear what uh, genocidal intent is sort of built into that kind of a vision of those people. But, but again, one of the main points that I make is that Hitler didn't think that they could change in any way. So they, they have to be destroyed at some point, either now or later. So he got his hooks into the older kind of anti-Semitism through the stereotypes of Jews as greedy and so on and uh, lustful. And then he turned that in a murderous direction with his biological understanding of the Jews. Yeah, although it's actually people before Hitler that are doing this, and Hitler is just buying into those ideas that are already around. And these ideas that Hitler are putting forward about anti biological anti-Semitism were very widespread in the early 20th century. Theodor Fritsch was a very prominent anti-Semitic thinker in Germany in the 20th century uh, and wrote extensively about this long before Hitler was on the scene, on the political scene. Speaking of buying into things... Dr. Weichert, in your book, you chronicle what I consider to be some really bizarre beliefs that Hitler had about religion, and you've mentioned a couple of them. So he denied that Jesus was a Jew. That's <laughs> right. I don't and know what to say about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and right. And, and again, there were there, Hitler. This was not original with Hitler. None of these ideas that I uh, that I show in there. Now I actually have a whole chapter talking about some of the influences on Hitler because these were not original ideas with Hitler. Maybe the way he put them all together may have been original in some kind of way, but he was drawing on a pretty rich fund of anti-Semitic thought that was already out there. And there were lots of anti-Semitic thinkers in the late 19th and early 20th century who believed that Jesus was uh, Aryan, uh, right. that, he'd been, that yeah. he'd been fathered by an, a, a Roman soldier, that Jesus was anti-Semitic. Well, I have more of these gems, right? So you yeah. report, he asserted that Christianity was a tricky plot of the Jews in order to undermine like the vigor of the Aryan race. And he denies that Judaism is a religion. These seem like crazy, wildly uninformed opinions. When it came to religion, was Hitler stupid? Well, he was heavily influenced by this sort of narrow, ultra-nationalist, anti-Semitic right that was fairly prominent in Vienna. And it, when he was Hitler was living in Vienna from 1907 to 1913, uh, during that time, a lot of these ideas had pretty wide circulation. And also in Munich, then when he moved there after Vienna in 1913 and then uh, 14, and then of course he went to the war and was fighting in World War I between 1914 and 1918, and then he moved back to Munich in 1919. These ideas uh, had a lot of currency there, uh, and yes, they do sound like crackpot ideas and are, uh, but there were many other uh, people who sh should have known better too, who were uh, buying into fairly similar kinds of ideas. I mean, you can look at theological professors and biological professors and such uh, medical professors who held a lot of the ideas that Hitler held. They may not have held every single one of them, but uh, unfortunately, these ideas were more widespread than uh, you might think. You're the uh, 
the gentler historian. I guess I'm more judgmental. <laughs> I, I think this is what stupid guys do. They read stupid things yeah. and they don't say, oh, that's stupid. They say, wow, that's really interesting. You give other examples. I mean, he hired a, a dowser one time to yeah. protect his office from harmful rays or something. Yeah. Or he reads like a really crazy book about cosmology or the history of the world. And, right. and he discusses it with all his friends. Wow, this is so interesting. Yeah, yeah. the world ice theory, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the dowsing episode and also the world ice theory ones are pretty weird crackpot stuff. I mean, those, those were one of some of the more fringe things that, that he was uh, buying into. Granted, you know, that those were not things that uh, very many people believed in. Although, again, uh, in the circle that he was running in, in the, in the anti-Semitic, ultra-nationalist, uh, radical right, they did have some resonance. But yeah, I mean, he should have known better. But what's interesting is, is Hitler actually had a section in Mein Kampf where he discusses how to read a book. In that thing, he basically says that the way you read a book is by basically picking out the things that you want to get out of it and just ignoring the rest. So, I mean, Hitler was not really a person who was a deep critical thinker and, and reading these people trying to critically analyze the things. In fact, there's some ways in which he thinks that this sort of critical analysis sort of thinks that that's not a, a good approach. And so he really wants to be sort of single-minded, focused on these uh, particular issues. And basically, when he reads he just sort of finds the things that he wants to find and just ignores anything that doesn't go that goes against his uh, worldview uh, that he already has. But he did read some serious stuff. I mean, he read Schopenhauer, he read Wagner, uh, he read Nietzsche. He read a lot of I shouldn't say he read a lot of German philosophy. He read some German philosophy, but he read a lot of other a lot of more popular press as well, which brings in a lot of the influences on him uh, too. When thinking about religion returns. I asked Dr. Weichart if Hitler ever confessed to being an atheist. So despite his Catholic or semi-Catholic background and uh, his occasional public statements, he seems to have not been a Christian. Although, as you explain later, he's not exactly an atheist either. Did he ever confess to being an atheist, to even in private, to someone like Goebbels? No, I haven't been able to find anywhere that he actually claimed to be an atheist. And in fact, uh, he basically comes against atheism in the times when I've been able to find him making, you know, forthright statements about it. He doesn't, there was a couple of occasions, and I do mention these in my book, where he does uh, use the word materialism in a way that seems positive, but it's it's kind of, it's unclear exactly what he even means in those particular passages. And so I don't place a whole lot of weight on that. But he does speak very often, both publicly and privately, about God, about providence, which one of his, he sort of has this sort of impersonal view of God. So he uses the word providence a lot uh, as well. He also talks a good deal about, and again, both publicly and privately, about uh, how he saw God as intervening to protect him when there were assassination attempts, like the July 20th, 1944 assassination attempt on Hitler. He does have this notion that somehow, you know, God is watching over him in some way. But again, he has a very 
impersonal view of that God, though, too. He doesn't see them as being sort of a personal God intervening the way you and I might think of as, you know, being someone that you'd pray to. There's absolutely no evidence that Hitler ever attended any worship services during his adult life, except for funerals and other kinds of special events like that. And in fact, in one case where he did attend a funeral for uh, the the Polish president, Marshal Pilsudski, after Pilsudski died, there was a, a celebratory mass in held in Berlin. Hitler actually went to that mass, but after he got back out of the mass, Goebbels reports in his diary that Hitler was scoffing at what took place uh, during the mass. So even though Hitler went to the service, it's clear he didn't uh, uh, really uh, go believing, you know, as a faithful Catholic there. There's no evidence that Hitler ever prayed, that he ever read any kind of religious literature other than some occultist kind of literature, although it's not clear how much that affected him. I argue in my book that he wasn't really into the occult. Well, let's take a little bit deeper on this matter of atheism. So when he denounced atheism, he would have meant not only the belief that there's no God, but also probably like a materialist worldview, right? Yes. Like was common in the leftist right. politics of his time. But now, when you say he, he referred to something and sometimes would call it God or the Almighty, some kind of ultimate something like either beyond the natural world or maybe it just is the natural world, you know, Buddhists and some Hindus, they believe in an ultimate, but it's an impersonal something, and they will describe their position as atheist because they don't believe in a personal creator or a personal perfect being. So, I mean, could he be an atheist? Just when atheist means that there is no personal God or no perfect being in that sense? Well, if you're arguing about a personal uh, deity, then that is possible. Now, I argue that Hitler was a pantheist, that he believed that nature was God. And so there's some people that do see pantheism as being either identical with or at least close to atheism. Uh, Spinoza, of course, uh, was accused quite often of atheism uh, based mm -hmm. on his pantheistic views, uh, and many other people have been as well. However, in the German context in the 19th century, there actually were two different strands of pantheism that emerged. One of them was sort of a mystical kind of pantheism. And this came out of like the Romantic movement uh, in the 1790s and early 1800s, where a lot of uh, Germans were embracing the idea that knowledge shouldn't come through reason like the Enlightenment had said, but rather should come through intuition, feelings, religious emotions, and things like that. This mystical kind of pantheism, it seems to me anyway, did have a sense of this god of nature having some kind of will. But then there was another kind of pantheism that I call scientific pantheism that is, I think, even closer to atheism. And this scientific pantheism, which is exemplified by people like Ernst Haeckel, who was the leading German biologist in the late 19th century— Heckel argued that he was a pantheist. I, a couple occasions, he did actually say that pantheism is, uh, is identical to atheism, so perhaps he could be identified as an atheist, but he preferred to be called a pantheist, and he thought that nature was God, but he didn't think that uh, God had any independent will. That is, he thought that nature was just uh, – that the will of God – he actually says this – that the will of God is just the laws of nature. Nothing can break with the laws of nature. So you got these two different kinds of pantheism. The mystical pantheism are not deterministic. They somehow, they think that there's a spirit pervading nature. And so they place more 
emphasis on the spiritual side of nature. The scientific pantheists place more emphasis on the sort of naturalistic side. So they 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 see the spirit as not being primary. They see the, the material world as being primary. The scientific pantheists, it seems to me, are very, are very close to atheists. Now, where's Hitler on that spectrum? A lot of times he does seem to hew closer to the scientific side, but I think there are plenty of times when he also sort of hews that he moves over toward the mystical side too. So I, I sort of see him as being between those two poles to some degree, although I think maybe he comes closer to the scientific side. Yeah. So he has this vague idea that there's some kind of cosmic will, not necessarily a will properly speaking, maybe something like a will. Yeah. Well, this is very difficult. Yeah. It's very difficult to get into. And and, uh, Schopenhauer is often identified as an atheist also, but he believed that there was some kind of impersonal will pervading the universe too. So here we get, I I don't claim to fully understand how how Schopenhauer thinks this works or why he can even call it a will if it's impersonal. But nonetheless, uh, Hitler loved Schopenhauer, and Schopenhauer was his favorite philosopher. Hitler also thought very highly of Nietzsche. In fact, when he thought about, when Hitler was thinking about uh, setting up a cultural center in Linz, Austria, where he had grown up, he wanted to have the busts of three German philosophers there in the library that he was going to set up in this grand cultural center he was going to set up. And that was, Kant was supposed to be one, Schopenhauer and Nietzsche. So Hitler liked Schopenhauer and Nietzsche, both of which ha- talk about this notion of will. But as you're suggesting, they're both atheists also, clearly, uh, speaking about God is dead. On the other hand, when I look at Hitler, again, both publicly and privately, this is not just in his public statements, in private also, uh, he speaks quite freely about God, providence. Uh, he declares that there is some kind of afterlife, although, again, it's a very impersonal notion of afterlife. Hitler says that one of the things that defines us as Aryans, Hitler said, was our belief in an afterlife. Now, he didn't believe in a personal afterlife, however. So again, I suppose you could say that sort of could still be construed as atheistic, but he did believe there's some kind of afterlife. Yeah, well, all these terms, you know, God, providence, afterlife, almighty, I mean, they all can be taken in a theistic direction or in the direction of just some kind of ultimate something. Sure. I mean, you say he wasn't a praying man, and I think you said somewhere in the book that he did not believe that this thing he's calling God could do miracles. Is that right? Or intervene in history? I mean, true intervention, not like just the laws of nature or something. He does seem to construe any kind of divine providence as being sort of more built into the nature, it does seem to me. There was a couple of occasions where he talks about prayer, and basically he poo-poos the idea of prayer, saying that we need to just act, we need to do something. Prayer, you know, is not the way to go about doing things. So he definitely doesn't believe in prayer to get God to intervene. He certainly doesn't believe in that. But then when he starts talking about uh, divine intervention, he does at times talk about there being divine intervention. Again, especially in episodes where, you know, he survives an assassination attempt or, you know, his party revives after his uh, failed beer hall putsch. You know, he does see somehow as there being some kind of this is a sign that he has God's favor. And again, the God is kind of vaguely defined and perhaps even impersonal, but he does seem to have this notion that somehow God has favored him, that's allowed him to become what he's become politically. So again, that's, that's kind of a 
a vague notion of God's intervention, but he doesn't believe in miracles, certainly not in the Christian sense of miracles taking place in the Bible. He doesn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. He doesn't believe that Jesus did miracles or anything like that, and he certainly scoffs at, you know, the Catholic Church's claims to miracles by various saints and such like that. He does speak uh, very highly of the Enlightenment rationalists, uh, especially uh, the uh, Frederick the Great, the king who himself uh, had a very skeptical attitude toward religion, and Hitler speaks very positively of him and of his negativity toward Christianity. So when Hitler talks about the Enlightenment uh, and the thinkers' attitudes during the Enlightenment about religion, which he does on several occasions, uh, he sort of has a positive view of the way the Enlightenment rejected miracles. So it's clear he doesn't believe in miracles in the sense of uh, most religious faiths would think of it. When thinking about religion returns, we find out what Hitler thought about traditional Japanese religion and about Islam. Dr. Weikert, in your analysis, Hitler takes an instrumental view of religion. You say that in Hitler's view, religions are only valid to the extent that they contribute to the survival of the Volk practicing them. Can you explain what the Volk is and how this relates to his views on religion? Yeah, the Volk is a a German term that is sometimes translated as people, but it means people in the sense of an ethnic group or an ethnic uh, identity, and like so a the tribe. Uh, yeah, in, in the case of the German, sometimes it's translated as nation because if you're talking about Germany, for example, you think about the German nation, but as an ethnic identity, not as a necessarily political identity. So. When Hitler came to power in 1933, the German folk would include Austrians. It could even include the Swiss Germans. It could include some of the Dutch who were speaking sort of a German dialect. Uh, So, although usually the Dutch would not be included in the German folk by most German nationalists, but still it would include people who are, you know, speaking German, reading Goethe, you know, embracing German culture. So it's sort of a cultural idea of that. Now, interestingly, in the early 20th century, the, the term folk had actually taken on some racial connotations, especially by people in the the radical right, such as Hitler. So Hitler actually sort of reinterpreted the folk to be a racial identity. So the way this works out into religion is that uh, Hitler was uh, hoping that the German folk would be able to embrace a religion that would help them to supplant their racial enemies. I mean, Hitler didn't care as much about religion and what people believed about God or the afterlife. What he was cared about was this racial struggle that he saw going on in world history. He wanted to favor the Aryan or Nordic race to triumph in that thing. And so in whatever way he thought religion could help in that waging that racial struggle for existence, that would be a good thing. And so interestingly, Hitler, when he talked about some other religions, sometimes thought that the Japanese religion, for example, he mentions Shintoism and the Japanese religion. He thought that there were some good things about that because it whipped up the Japanese to nationalism and to support their nation and such. And so he makes some positive comments about that. And actually, he portrays Christianity negatively in relation to that because Christianity teaches turning the other cheek and and, uh, peace and other kinds of things like that, which Hitler had contempt for. And then he also at one point compared Islam 
to Christianity and said that it was a, a tragedy that the Battle of Tours had turned back Islam back in the early medieval times because uh, Islam would have been a better sort of more uh, military kind of religion, which would have benefited the German people better than what he sees as an emasculated Christianity. This aspect of his opinionating sounds kind of Nietzschean to me, you know, that Christianity is for wimps and Judaism is for wimps because of all this compassion business and the overman might pick a better type of religion. Do you see that as Nietzschean? Yes, I think that element is in there. I'm not sure it just comes just out of Nietzsche, but yes, it is in Nietzsche. And uh, Hitler did uh, like Nietzsche quite a bit. I already mentioned that he was wanting him as a statue in his uh, library to set up in Linz. But he also, uh, there's a picture, and I have this picture in my book, Hitler's Religion. There's a picture that Hitler's personal photographer took of Hitler when he was at the Nietzsche archives, where Hitler is standing across from a bust of Nietzsche. And the uh, caption and everything about this was supposed to emphasize Hitler's connections with Nietzsche. Hitler actually gave a lot of his own personal funds to the Nietzsche archive to keep it going and to promote Nietzsche's ideas. So yes, this is uh, coming out of Nietzsche and Hitler certainly, but it's not just Nietzsche, I should say. There's also a whole fund of thinking that had grown up uh, that's often referred to today as social Darwinism that likewise was teaching that the favored races should triumph in the struggle for existence and that compassion, especially for those who are weak and sickly and such, is in some sense misguided because uh, the strong should survive and the weak should go to the wall, essentially. So there was this fund of social Darwinist thought, which sort of merged with Nietzscheanism. In fact, when I say it merged, there's actually a, a thinker named Alexander Tilla, who was a prominent racial thinker in the 1890s in Germany, who published a book from Darwin to Nietzsche, in which he talked about uh, this Darwinian side as well, together with the Nietzschean side, and, and wanted to blend both of those together and synthesize those. Another uh, prominent racial thinker named Ludwig Voltmann, like was drawing on this social Darwinist thrust as well in his racial thought. Dr. Weikart, one might suppose looking at Hitler's heinous and heartless actions that he just didn't believe in right and wrong at all. How in general did he think about questions of morality? Did he not believe in morality? Interestingly, he believed that morality had evolved and that some races, interestingly, had different kinds of morality than other races. In fact, he thought that the Aryan race or Nordic race had the highest morality of uh, all the human races. And when we look at the different kinds of stereotypical traits that he thought of as being typically German-like honesty, hard work, you know, other kinds of things like that. Hitler thought these were biologically ingrained and that the German race and Aryans thus were highly moral. But in, in terms of going forward, what he thought as being the, the highest arbiter of morality, you know, in terms of what would be a judge of his own political policies, of his, his actions on all, uh, on all levels, he thought that whatever advanced the human race biologically was good and whatever led to biological degeneration was bad. So he did have a very keen idea of there being good and bad, but his idea of what constituted good and bad was totally different than most other previous systems of morality, such as Judeo-Christian morality or Kantian ethics or even utilitarianism. Basically, he was advancing an evolutionary ethic that thought that whatever advances the, the species is good and whatever uh, leads to de biological degeneration is bad. 
So how does this lead one to treat the individual human being then? Hitler actually says this point blank that the individual is nothing. The species is everything. And so he doesn't believe there's any kind of intrinsic human rights. There's no kind, certainly not individual rights. And so Nazism is clearly a form of collectivism. It's a belief that it's what happens to the the German race. And and interestingly, though, Hitler sees the Nordic or Aryan race as being the primary superior race. And so it's not even really just what happens to Germany as a nation, but what happens to the Aryan or Nordic people, actually, that's more important. When Hitler put together his empire, Empire in Europe during the early 1940s, he actually wanted to try to integrate Norway, Denmark, the Netherlands, and even some parts of Czechoslovakia and even a few parts of Poland into his greater German empire because he thought they had enough Nordic blood that they could contribute to the advance of the, the human race. On the other hand, he wants to destroy all the races that he identifies as being inferior or subhuman, to use a term they used quite a bit in the Nazi uh, period. So he wants to destroy these subhuman, inferior races, and he believes that that then will bring about biological progress. And not only biological progress in a physical sense, but because he thinks that morality is biologically ingrained, he thinks this is actually going to bring about an advance of morality. Because the moral Aryan race is going to supplant these immoral Jews and other races. So when Hitler was trying to discern the, quote, will of nature, what he seemed to think was he would look at evolutionary history and say, well, only the strong can compete well enough to survive. And obviously that's us, the Nordic people. There's something like a twisted natural law theory going on here almost where... He thinks he can discern the rules of morality from observing how the world works. Yes, quite clearly. And okay, I'm arguing Hitler's a pantheist in my book, but when we think about some kinds of pantheism, we think of people who emphasize peace, cooperation, and such, because that's how they see nature. But that is not how Hitler saw nature. Hitler saw nature as being cruel. Uh, And so Hitler thought that by being cruel, he was acting in harmony with nature and nature's ways. But ultimately, Hitler thought that that cruelty and, you know, the destruction of the weak, the destruction of the sickly and such, he thought that that was all serving a higher end, which was the evolutionary progress of the human species. And so he thought that by getting rid of people with disabilities and during the Nazi regime, the Nazi regime killed about 200,000 Germans with disabilities, as well as uh, Poles and Czechs, uh, and we don't know how many numbers of them, uh, as well as people of allegedly inferior races. When Hitler was killing all them off, it was with this notion that we are going to bring on a racial utopia because we're going to improve the human race by doing all of this. To go back to the topic of Hitler's views on Christianity, I was surprised to learn about a darker aspect of his thinking about Christianity. I don't know if you're aware of the novel that's now a uh, series of shows on Amazon Prime called The Man in the High Castle. It's speculating what if Hitler had won World War II and the Japanese had also won. What would the world be like then, like in the 50s and 60s later Mm -hmm. on? And according to you, and I guess I remember this is attested in multiple sources. It's not just like a vague rumor. Hitler intended to eventually rid Germany of Christianity. 
Yes, although he wasn't necessarily thinking he could do that very rapidly. And that sort of gets at what we talked about earlier in our conversation here about how Hitler was actually trying at times to sort of rein in some of the anti-clerical forces within his own party because he recognized that the church was too dearly held by too many people. In fact, at one point— Especially in wartime, right? Yeah, even during yeah, especially during wartime, but even during the peace times. I mean, uh, Hitler at one point was talking. I forgot when this was, but he was talking to someone in his entourage at one point and said, you know, and, and he was trying to make the point about the German public. But he said, you know, I couldn't keep my own mom from going to church if I wanted to. <laughs> and so Hitler's point was that he, he had a fairly pious mom. By the way, his his dad was pretty much a free thinker. His dad was pretty anti clerical, but Hitler's mom was a pretty pious Catholic. Uh, and Hitler said, look, I couldn't keep my mom from going to church. She was too devoted to it, and so. Hitler's approach was to try to do this incrementally. So they tried to get the Hitler youth to supplant all of the church youth groups. So they basically uh, banned Catholic youth groups, banned Protestant youth groups, and all the German young people had to go to the Hitler youth. And so he was trying to use propaganda, persuasion, uh, and such, rather than just sort of shutting down all the churches. But on the other hand, he did try to whittle away wherever he thought he could get away with it, the influence of the churches. So during the war, they used the paper shortage as an excuse to shut down church newspapers and religious periodicals and such. Uh, They used bombing on cities as excuses to shut down church services within, I forgot the number of hours, like 12 hours after a bombing campaign, you were not allowed to hold a church service, you know. So they did all sorts of little things. They shut down monasteries. They jailed a lot of priests and pastors, uh, especially after 1936 and even during the war as well. So there were all sorts of ways that they tried to whittle away at the influence of the churches. But he wasn't willing to just you know completely shut them down. Uh, but he's hoping over, and, and again, it's, this is a little speculative on my part, but I'm thinking he's thinking that several decades, it'll take several decades probably you know, to be able to accomplish this. But yes, he was hoping that eventually the churches would die out. And one indication of this, by the way, is that during the war, when Hitler and his crony architects were drawing up plans for the German cities to be rebuilt, they didn't rebuild the churches. And when they talked about building new areas and new architecture and such, there were to be no churches in, uh, put in those new places. So Hitler was clearly wanting to get rid of the churches uh, as soon as he could, but he recognizes he needs to go uh, sort of a slow incremental approach. So if the producers of season two of The Man in the High Castle call you for advice, <laughs> you would say, yeah, probably by 1960, Hitler might be trying to de-Christianize his empire. Well, I think he'd have been trying it all along, but again, uh, doing it in a slow in a slow process, as much as he thought he could get away with. I think that's pretty much the issue. There's an interesting book that just came out uh, this past year called Hitler's Compromises. And in that book, he details some of the times when Nazis uh, arrested Protestant bishops. And I mentioned this briefly in my book, but I don't go into as much detail. But Nathan Stoltzfus, a professor at Florida State University, put out this book, Hitler's Compromises. And and he goes into detail about some of these episodes where uh, some of these bishops were put under house arrest. This is fairly early on. This is like 1934. The Nazis put two Protestant bishops under house arrest, and the people 
went out to the streets demonstrating in support of their bishops and such, and it was a fiasco for the Nazi party. So Hitler had to basically call it off and claim that he had not been involved in the first place. He claimed that this had been done by, you know, lower level functionaries who'd run amok or something like that. And so Hitler basically tries to put it right by, you know, releasing them from house arrest. But it was a lesson, I think, for Hitler, too, that there's only so far you can go. And so interestingly, throughout the rest of the Nazi period, even on up to 1945, Hitler never targeted bishops after that time. He targeted priests, he targeted pastors, but even Bishop Galen was able to get away with criticizing the euthanasia program. He criticized the Nazi policies relating to the churches publicly in some uh, sermons in 1941. And some of Hitler's entourage told him, we ought to execute this guy. And Hitler said, let's wait. We'll take care of him after the war, essentially. That, to me, makes him sound worse, not better, that he's that cold-blooded in his uh, considerations. <laughs> he's not just an off-the-shelf bigot. He's, he's a no. very calculating oh, yeah. killer. Yes. And, and interestingly, relating to the Pope Pius XII himself during World War II, this also played itself out because during the war, the Nazis, of course, occupied Italy late in the war. And so the Germans had control of Rome for the last year of the war. Uh, and during that time, there was concern that the Pope might face recriminations from the Nazis or even be kidnapped or jailed or whatever. And apparently the Pope was afraid of that, uh, and the Nazis maybe wanted him to be afraid of that. However, they never touched him. And again, I think part of this because they just knew he was sort of just too big a fish to deal with. They, they didn't want the, the backlash that would come from the public if they touched him. When thinking about religion returns, what about reports that Hitler was primarily an occultist? Dr. Weicker, let's talk a little bit more about this idea that Hitler was an occultist. I know I've run into this in popular coverage, probably on cable TV. It's so tempting because, I mean, did this guy make a deal with the devil? And we do have information that some of his associates had some interest in the occult. So was that a big influence for him? You know, interestingly, Hitler was influenced by some people who called themselves occultists. There were some uh, a group in Vienna called the Ariosophists, which literally means Aryan wisdom. Uh, and one was named Jürglans von Liebenfels, and another was Guido von List. And I talk about both of these uh, in Hitler's religion. But what's interesting is that Hitler was influenced by these guys, but if you look at the kind of occult terminology and occult ideas, specifically occult ideas that are interwoven into these guys' writings, they don't come through in Hitler's writings or speeches. We do find Hitler saying things about Aryan racism, about eugenics, about other kinds of uh, ideas that are pretty similar to theirs. Uh, but the specifically occult uh, things don't really come through uh, in Hitler. And Hitler actually spoke privately, very negatively, about astrology, about theosophy, and other kinds of occult movements in Germany. And one interesting story that I found out while I was doing research on this book was that when Rudolf Hess uh, fled to Scotland to try to broker a deal with the British, Hitler thought Hess had gone insane to do that. 
And Hitler blamed it on the occultists. He blamed it on astrologers and such because he knew that Hess was deeply into astrology. So Hitler, a couple of weeks later, ordered the SS to round up astrologers, prognosticators, theosophists, anthroposophists, other kinds of occult figures within Germany. And indeed, that's what happened. So the SS went out. They did the sweep. They gathered up all these occultists, threw them into prisons or concentration camps. But there's a, a, an interesting twist to the story because Himmler was also very interested in the occult. So even though Hitler and, and Goebbels were very against the occult, Hess and Himmler were very positive toward the occult. And so Himmler took one of those astrologers that had been arrested, his name was Wilhelm Wolf, took him out of police custody uh, and made him his personal astrologer. <laughs> so, so this is bizarre, you know. The, so Hitler was not of the same mind as Himmler in in the occult uh, issue. There were a couple episodes. You mentioned the dowsing issue earlier on. There was this issue of dowsing that I do talk about in my book briefly. But even that, that was just sort of a uh, sort of a one time thing. And it seems clear that Hitler was not into very much of the occult, and usually was speaking against occult kind of things. In fact, by the way, that dowsing episode, Hitler actually thought that was sort of scientific. Uh, that was sort of his view of it. Because the guy that was promoting this kind of dowsing, basically this kind of dowsing was to supposed to find what he called these cosmic rays that he claimed were causing cancers and other kinds of things, the person that was uh, promoting this. And so Hitler actually at first thought this was kind of a scientific kind of thing because there supposedly was data showing that he had been able to uh, identify these cosmic rays in, I think it was Nuremberg, if I recall correctly, a major German city anyway, and that he'd been able to show that these cosmic rays were in the very areas that people had cancers and other kind, these other kinds of health problems. That brings me to my next question. I have the strong impression after reading your book that Hitler imagined himself to be a man of science and that a lot of his anti-religious views and also his anti-occult views relate to that. Yeah, I think that's right. And uh, interestingly, in, in thinking about what I, when I'm talking about him being a pantheist, I mean, he's very interested in nature. In fact, his August Kubizek, who was his uh, roommate in Vienna for a time, uh, said that Hitler had this sort of uh, extremely, extremely close relationship with nature, this love for nature, even beyond what sort of most people have. And one of the interesting things uh, about Hitler and thinking about you know his his replacement of Christianity with his pantheistic view was when he was trying to wanting to create I already mentioned that he wanted to create this cultural center in Linz. Well, one of the things that he wanted to do in Linz also to go along with this was he was wanting to tear down a Catholic church that was there. There was this pilgrimage church in Linz sitting up on a, a hill called the Perslingberg, and Hitler wanted to tear down that church and build a planetarium and observatory so people could uh, observe the wonders of nature. So this sort of indication that he you know, he's wanting to and at that planetarium he was wanting to honor people like Copernicus uh, and Newton and so he does see this as being a scientific but but the bizarre thing is that the third scientist that he was wanting to honor at this planetarium was Hans Herbinger who really wasn't a scientist at all he was an engineer and he had this bizarre idea called the world ice theory that there's this cosmic you know fight going on between fire and ice essentially uh, and he <laughs> and he thought that the moon was he had this supposed revelation that the moon was completely composed of ice uh, so Hitler, Hitler thought this was a scientific idea, even though it was harebrained. See, this is more stupid guy stuff. I mean, <laughs> yes, exactly. This, <laughs> this is exactly what a stupid right. guy does. A stupid guy might think that he is a scientific man yeah. and a man of reason, but then he's a terrible judge 
of what is actually good science. And yeah, yeah I don't know. This seems like a consistent thing. On the him. other hand, if on the other hand, I would say that if you looked at most of the ideas that Hitler was peddling about, like racism and other things like that, there were a lot of scientists who were yeah. uh, who believed that same thing. Even though you'd you wonder why some of these guys, you know, why, you wonder why some of the scientists in the 1920s and 30s were believing these things too. But there were a lot of scientists in the 1920s and 30s that were peddling racism, even anti-Semitism, uh, and such as well. So. Hitler did uh, have a lot of support from scientists, and if you look at the uh, scientific elites in Germany, in 1927 or 28, uh, the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute for Anthropology, Eugenics, and Human Heredity, for example, was headed up by Eugen Fischer. So Eugen Fischer was really, and this is a, a very elite research institution. I mean, this would be like heading up Harvard University uh, as mm -hmm. biology department or something like that, or anthropology department. Eugen Fischer was really the premier anthropologist in Germany, and yet uh, he was intensely racist, believed in the negativity of racial mixing, uh, was anti-Semitic. Uh, so there's a lot of these ideas that we recognize now are a complete balderdash in terms of their scientific status. But at the time, uh, there were a lot of scientists, unfortunately, who were buying into that and giving uh, giving Hitler status as having, you know, reliable ideas. Sobering stuff. Dr. Weicker, at any point in writing this book or before this book, did you have any familiarity with current day people who idolize Hitler, like in the Christian identity movement or these other racist and nationalist groups? And if so, do they have any common misconceptions about Hitler? You know, I hadn't uh, had much contact with any of them in terms of thinking about Hitler's religion or anything. I actually had a great uncle many years ago who uh, had some white supremacist kind of views and, and believed that Jesus wasn't a Jew kind of thing. Remember, we talked about that earlier here, mm -hmm. too. But I never really talked about Hitler's religion or anything like that, or even I didn't even talk about Hitler in that for that matter, and I only had brief conversations with him about that. But interestingly, since I published my book, I actually received a an email from the leader of a a neo-Nazi organization, uh, who read my book, and he said, despite your animosity toward Hitler, I think you've uh, analyzed him properly in relation to his religion. Hmm. So uh, I found that kind of interesting. Uh, but basically, there are a lot of neo-Nazis and identitarians who uh, actually do uh, take an anti-Christian approach. I actually had a student that did a, uh, a master's thesis under me where he looked at uh, white nationalists and sort of the precursors to today's identitarians. And he uh, made the claim that there was a serious shift towards secularization and anti-Christian identity among uh, many of them in the late 20th century and such. So I do think that these kind of ideas that I'm talking about here actually uh, have resonated to some degree with some of the current people in the in the alt-right also. If you look at some of the alt-right stuff, I actually uh, did a little research last uh, fall, just briefly, not any real in-depth stuff, but looking at Richard Spencer and some of the other people who are involved in the alt-right and such, and it seems to me that some of their ideas uh, uh, do resonate with Hitler's sort of secular uh, and, pan and pantheistic approach. So some of his fans will happily drop the Christianity part, and some of them might be surprised by it, I suppose. Sure. It's a really great book. It's a piece of real scholarship, but yet it's very clearly written and organized. I really enjoyed it. I hope a lot of people read it, whether they are lovers or haters of Hitler or just curious. There's just a really a lot of meat there. Hopefully after they read the book, they will uh, come to be haters of Hitler. That's right. <laughs> <laughs>
In fact, one of the things that I one of the things that I wrote to this uh, person that that emailed me was I, I told him basically that even from his own perspective, he shouldn't like Hitler because Hitler resulted in the death of millions of Germans right. through World War II uh, yeah. and such. So even on his own terms, I don't know why he likes Hitler. And just because he managed to start a major war does not mean he's at all a smart guy. That's my yeah. point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Again, the book is called Hitler's Religion, The Twisted Beliefs That Drove the Third Reich. Dr. Weikart, thanks for talking with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Based on the evidence that I've seen, I think that Dr. Weikart is right. Out of all the positions that have been suggested, Hitler most resembles a pantheist. I'm not sure that he actually had a self-consistent view, Strikes me that Hitler wasn't much of a thinker. While his God, or Almighty, is supposed to be nature, and is impersonal, maybe even inconceivable, still, somehow this nature wants Hitler to win. Evidently, nature isn't God, or else Hitler was wrong about the will of nature. Or maybe it's a God, but it's not Almighty? In any case, divine providence failed Adolf Hitler. Looks like Adolf Hitler's trust was misplaced. This week's thinking music has been Your Pulse by Little Glass Men. Be sure to check out the blog post for this episode at thinkingaboutreligion.org. You'll find a ton of interesting links there that relate to this episode. I'm Dale Tuggy. This has been Thinking About Religion. Thanks for listening.